Good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be picking back up in Genesis next Sunday. Um, Let me just encourage you to read Genesis chapter 14, because that's where uh, we left off, and that's where we'll, we'll pick up. Let's pray. Father, as Dennis has said, um, there is a turning of the year and so many varied responses and thoughts in reference to the year that we've just finished. And I'm sure a lot of thoughts and excitement and yet fears for 2021. I pray, Father God, that as we look at your word this morning, perhaps, by your grace, this time in your word would set a tone for the year in front of us. And that, Father God, it would be uh, helpful in times of need, it'd be encouraging, it would give fresh strength. And Father, remind us who we are, remind us who we serve. And remind us why we're here and what we're about. So, Father, would you use your word today, I pray, that your precious spirit, that he would be illuminating our minds to the truth. And, Father, keep me out of the way and let your word clearly sing out that the the sheep would hear the voice of the shepherd, recognize the truth of his word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I didn't know what Dennis was going to share in his call to worship. It's, I usually do not know what's going to be said in the call to worship, and it's kind of a, uh, not kind of, it's a surprise. And so I'm always curious what's going to come before the message and just how the Lord may piece that together. And over the last decade, he's pieced it together beautifully almost every Sunday, Um, there is in our hearts and in our minds typically when the new year comes and you transition and there's another year on the way there is a level of excitement sometimes you'll hear a level of maybe even regret from the previous year this year is just strange the transition from 2020 to 2021 of all the interesting things that have taken place in this year and so many of the new things, I don't know how many times you heard in 2020, I sure heard it many times, this is the first time I've ever dot, 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 fill in the blank. Or I've never seen dot, 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 fill in the blank. Well, a good response, if you hear anybody say that, I've never seen anything like this, say, well, there's a new year coming. (laughs) And who knows what's in front of us. See, that's the interesting thing, is that when we talk about a new year, we all have great big plans as if this is going to be much different than the last year. It may not be. 
in the sense of what's taking place in the world in front of us and around us. But I've always found it interesting to ask people this question around this time of year. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? And it's funny how we do this. Uh, a lot of us have New Year's resolutions that get almost mid-January. And then we end up failing. We go, well, that didn't work. But the next year, I'll have a New Year's resolution. But I have met a few people every now and again. They had a New Year's resolution. And that resolution uh, was powerfully altering their life. So thinking about that, it got me to chewing a little bit about what does it mean to be resolute? What does it mean to resolve? What does it mean to uh, commit and say, this is the way it's going to be? Which took me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as I believe the resolution of the believer. Not for 2021, but forever. In this life and in the life to come, this is the resolution of the believer. So I want to challenge you with the believer's resolution. I want to challenge you with the call on your life, Christian. You say you're a Christian. You tell other people you're a Christian. This is, what, this is the call on your life. If you are the brethren in this passage, if you are the saved, if you are the elect, if you are the redeemed, if you are a Christian, a true disciple of Jesus, this passage is for you. This is the call on your life. If you do not know the Lord Jesus, that must precede this passage. If you don't know Christ, let me just stop here right in before we even get into this passage and just encourage you. This is the time to turn to the Lord Jesus, to lay your life down before the sovereign God. But for those of us who are believers, for those of us who are turning to the word, those of us who have been born again in the, through the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But back up with me and look at Romans chapter 11 kind of set it in a little bit of a context. The book of Romans from chapters, basically from chapters 1 to chapter 11, is very, very much theological uh, in nature. Chapter 12 through the rest of this very much is applicable or application. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying doctrine is not applicable. Absolutely, there's conviction, there's application from chapters 1 to 11. But Paul, Paul on purpose here takes a turn in chapter 12 and goes towards a, if this is true, then what does this look like in your life? But I just want to show you how he ends chapters 1 to 11. Chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore. Now, the therefore is debatable. There's some, some pastors, some theologians, some commentators who say, is the, they ask the question, is the therefore hinged on 1133 to the end of the chapter, or is the therefore in light of all that he has been saying up to this point? And it's, theologians are funny people because it's, it's interesting. Some of them start in chapter 3, some of them start in chapter 1, some of them start in chapter 11, and they say, this is what that therefore is referring to. 
I am not positive where I land or what I believe the therefore is specifically referring to. My best guess is it's referring to his entire argument he's been making from chapter 1 to chapter 11. But there does seem to be a specific ramping up in 33 to 36. And now there's an appeal from the apostle. And this is the same appeal I want to give to you. This is the appeal that has been laid heavy on my heart personally. When he says, I appeal to you, your translation may have a different word. There's, I appeal to you, I exhort you, I call on you, I urge you. This concept of, I'm calling you to attention. I'm, I'm making a case to you. I'm, I'm challenging you with this. Listen, Christian, this is something I, I want to lay in front of you and call you to. This is, and remember, beloved, this is the Apostle Paul, yes, but under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So this is God saying, my child, I'm calling you to this. I'm, I'm appealing to you. I want your attention. I want you to hear this challenge. In light of the context, in light of all that you've heard, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And as I said at the beginning of this message, this is not intended for the world. Now, is the gospel in this passage you could say, yes, you could probably make that case, but he's specifically speaking to Christians. Anytime in the scripture where you see beloved or saints or elect or brothers or something of that nature, it's, he's referring to believers. Listen, Christian, this is for you, specifically you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and here's the foundation all this is based on, by the mercies of God. The foundation of this entire text is standing, sitting on the mercies of God. That's important because I don't know about you, anytime somebody comes to me and appeals to me or exhorts me or, or challenges me to go do this, go get this done, my initial reaction is they wouldn't ask if I didn't have the ability to do so. But he doesn't appeal on the base of their power. He doesn't say, I appeal to you on the basis of your own strength or on the, the guilt that I can lay on you. No, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. It's God's mercy that is the bedrock foundation of this. The mercy of God is always the foundation. The entire thing is holy of grace. By grace are you saved and that not of yourselves. So Paul appeals not dependent on man's ability or on the, the strength of what he has to say or the guilt that he could lay on the believer. No, no, no. I appeal to you on the basis of the mercy of God. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Well, before, we, before I read that next portion, turn with me, guys, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I want this to kind of be the fa a foundation attached to this to, to reinforce what the apostle is about to say. From the mouth of the Lord Jesus, verse 23 of chapter 9 in Luke, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, turn with me back to Matthew chapter 10, just for another reinforcement passage. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are sayings of Jesus that are difficult at times to look at. But what do you do? Ignore them? Say he didn't say it? He did say it. Now, there's a, it's a, it becomes kind of a funny statement in our culture because we use the term, it's my cross to bear, right? Well, it's my cross to bear. What is? Uh, male pattern baldness is my cross to bear. Well, you know, it's my cross to bear. What is? And you just fill it in, and we use that term all the time. And so when we come back to this passage, we say, well, it's my cross to bear. When Jesus says it's your cross to bear, what was the immediate thought in the apostles' mind when they heard cross? Death. What if I said this? Well, it's my electric chair to bear. Well, it's my lethal injection to bear. You would go, death. That's this. Remember, the cross, I realize as Christians, the cross is an emblem of our faith and what we believe. And, and when Christ died on the cross, he was rescuing us from the penalty of our sins. I know that on this side of the cross. But at this side of the cross, when he said cross, torture, death. They've seen people crucified. So when Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him come ready to die for my sake. Come ready to die, or don't come. Talk about seeker sensitivity gospel. As Jesus lays this in, notice the passage in Luke, it says, and he said to them all. He's not, he's not, there's one thing I love about our Savior. He's never using some slick methodology to try to impress the whims of mere man. No, no, no. He lays it out in front of him and says, this is what you will be if you come to me. You will be one who's ready to die for my name's sake. For the one who found his life and thinks he's got his own life and can do whatever he wants with it, is going to lose it. The one living for this world only, you're going to lose it. You'll die. It's going to happen. Death is going to meet up with you. But those who already lay their life down at his feet, give him their life, and live sacrificially, that person has truly found life. And this is the interesting part, is that Jesus Christ is calling them to a life of martyrdom. Now, very important because of where I'm going to go here in the passage, because a life of martyrdom. You go, well, martyrdom's when you die. You may. There are brothers and sisters in 2021 whose lives will be taken for Jesus' sake on this planet somewhere. That will happen if he does not return. That will happen. 
But for us, more than likely, we will not be killed for Jesus' sake this year. I say more than likely, you guys know what I mean, because who knows what's going to happen in this year? Who knows what God might do in your life, what he might call you to do? Are you ready? Don't answer this. Are you ready to die for Jesus' sake this year? Physically die out of out of love for Christ and out of clarity that I will never deny him, I will lay my life down for him this year. And let me just sharpen that a little bit. Today. That's what he's saying. And you say, but what if I don't die? Well, that's where we're going here in chapter 12. So look with me, if you would, chapter 12 of Romans. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and this is beautiful, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's call on the people of God is to be a living sacrifice. You remember in the Old Testament, what this should bring to your mind immediately is the Old Testament sacrifices that were made. As they went and sought to find some animal with no blemish, the best of their flock, one that was pure and clean, in order that they may be given up as a sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but my tendency would probably be to find the one that I could spare. You know, it's like, well... um, I don't like that one. That one was born with a deformity. You know, fill in the blank. That animal will do. No, 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 no. That's not the nature of the, of the sacrificial system. The nature of the sacrificial system is you bring me, this is God speaking, you bring me the best you have. And you lay it in front of me. I want the very best you have. I do not want a second-rate sacrifice. And throughout the prophets, you'll see The prophets specifically speaking to this point where the priests were sacrificing animals that were second best. God will be happy with some of what I give him. And if he's not, you know, he'll just have to recognize I gave him something. I'll take your mind back to Cain and Abel and all that took place there. But here's the beauty. God doesn't call us. He does not call us to give a sacrifice of an animal before him. That has, been, that has been completely satisfied in the blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that you see in the Old Testament is a shadow pointing to the substance of Christ's once for all sacrifice upon the cross. But now he turns our attention to something very different here. And guys, I have to make this point because I, think you, I don't think I have to make it for your sake, but I have to make it without moving forward because it's so important. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is not saying you are not saved unless this is done. The living sacrifice he's calling you to here, he's not saying this is how you'll earn your salvation. If you do this long enough and it's more di- you know, difficult enough, this is how you'll be saved. He's not calling them to come and accomplish salvation. He's calling them, this is how you act out the salvation you've already received. The salvation that's already been inside. You're already a new creation. Old creation doesn't do this. Remember the whole context? Brothers? So this is the call on the believer who's already born again. 
That's important because we, we immediately find ourselves in a works righteousness environment so fast where we, we start to go, is God happy with me? Is God happy with me? Is God happy with me? Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, God is happy with you in one sense. Then there's the other sense of, is there concealed sin? Are you, are you lying? Are you hiding yourself from him? Relationally, that can do great damage to your walk with Jesus. But salvifically, that's not what he's talking about here per se. The sacrifice of Christ fully satisfied the payment for your sin. If it's fully satisfied the payment for your sin, I'd like you to see what your life looks like now. Lay your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God calls us to be holy and acceptable before him. Holy, that concept of being set apart, being different, being pure and acceptable. When we hear the word acceptable, that translation is a little tricky because Sometimes when you hear acceptable, your mindset is, it's good enough. That's not, that's not how it works when it's in, in reference to God. God doesn't say, yeah, good enough. Acceptable to God would be perfection, not good enough. I want holy, perfect people. And we go, we're not holy, perfect people. You are holy and perfect in Christ and progressively becoming more holy and more mature, more perfect in Christ. That's why it's interesting. God wins the race for you and then says, now get out there and run. And so this is found in two ways, Christ and our living. I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to daily walk sacrificially unto Christ. And here's the kicker. This is the part that is so hard because it goes so against our natural way of thinking. The life of sacrifice to Christ is the life of complete joy. And the life of no sacrifice to Christ and the life of complete self-satisfaction is the life of complete misery. Why would I make that argument? Because I'm, I am convinced from the word of God, God never designed you to glorify you. God did not design you to glorify and honor and make you feel great. That's prosperity gospel. It's filthy. It's wrong. And people go to hell who believe that. No, actually what's going on here is God calls us to a God-centered life, not a Dan-centered life. And by the way, if you're living a Dan-centered life, you guys need help a man-centered life, a life where you are living for self, a life where I want to find the best for me, the most satisfying to me, the most gratifying to me now. I want that. Beloved, that is not what you were designed for. You were designed to find it all in him and not in you. And so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in light of everything I've said up to this point, by the mercies of God, the foundation we're standing on, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is an interesting sentence here because the concept is not a once-for-all kind of thing. Um, I heard a funny story where there was a camp 
and there was a group of kids around the campfire, and kids around the campfire at Christian camps do really funny stuff. And there was a kid who took off his wristwatch, and he threw it in the fire and said, I'm giving all my time to the Lord. Do you know what he did after that? He bought a new watch. Um, This is not necessarily a once-for-all thing. The concept here, and this is why Jesus says, come unto me daily. This is a progressive action. This is a consistent action. This is a continual action of laying our lives down as a living sacrifice. Let me ask you this. Was there any time this week where you did not live as a living sacrifice before Jesus? Any time once this week where you did not live as a living sacrifice before Jesus? Answer? Yeah, of course. Of course I have. So let me ask you this. Are you a greater living sacrifice for Jesus now than you were a decade ago? You don't, you don't have to answer. Just, just think that through with me. Have, has more natural sinful self died and has Jesus declared and gained more of your affection, more of your love, more of your obedience, more of you? Does he have more of your mind than he did? Does he have more of your heart than he did? I appeal to you, brothers, that you would come and you would present yourselves. What an what a incredible concept that it doesn't say um, you're forced to this, but there's a, a presenting of yourself before God. I give myself afresh to you as a living sacrifice. I want my life to be more and more pleasing to you. Remember, a sacrifice was made for the sake of pleasing God, right? So when we come before the Lord as a living sacrifice, really what we're getting at is, I want my life to be more pleasing to God than it's ever been before. I want God's pleasure as he sees the way I'm living my life. I want to see the pleasure of God, and I want to see that through my obedience, my love, my devotion to him. Now this is an interesting piece, and I want to pause here for a second, because In that moment, this is how my mind works, and maybe yours does too, my thought is, yeah, but I fail constantly. I mess up all the time. I sin. I'm filled with pride. I get discouraged. I don't trust Him. I don't believe His Word some days. And so, yes, there's been some progression, but I still keep stumbling and tripping and falling in my obedience and in my walk to Him. God, what is wrong with me? To which he responds, number one, this is why you hold to the sacrifice of Christ as your Redeemer, as your salvation. Number two, beloved, one of the works of progressive sanctification is for God to show you your sin for that which it is, and you repent of it and declare it before him. What am I getting at? Well, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't take that passage in the context of salvation, but in the context of the consistent life of the believer. And so, as we sin, as we stumble, as we fall, and God reveals to us with clarity, I have failed him in my obedience to him, and I declare it to be so, and I cling to the cross of Christ, Is it possible that even in our failings, God's drawing us closer to him? 
I'm not calling evil good or good evil. I'm not saying let us sin that grace may abound. But I am saying I don't think your sin caught God off guard. And I do believe he can even use the repentance of that sin for his glory. As I look at Peter's restoration in John 21, as I look at the restoration of David in Psalm 51, as I see God graciously and lovingly say, my son, you have blown it. Now declare that, confess that, and come unto me and move forward. That's even a part of this living sacrifice. We die daily. Are you ready to die? Now, this is the interesting part, okay? When we talk about living sacrifices, and I've given this illustration before, if you talk to a husband and you say, are you ready to die for your wife today? Answer, husbands, is what? (laughs) Way too silent, way too long. (laughs) When I hear hear guys going, "Mm," I'm I'm curious. (laughs) Our natural response, biblically, in a godly fashion, and just a, a natural response course. Somebody breaks into my home, comes after my wife, going through Dan first. Great. Now go load the dishwasher. I'm really busy. (laughs) See, this is the interesting part. Going up on the cross, uh, giving you kind of a metaphor here, going up on the cross once, yeah, you're ready. Do it. Jump in front of the bus. Push her out of the way. Take the hit. You're in heaven. But what about a daily dying? What about the, the, the intricacies of recognizing your faults and your errors? And there's times where you know you've made a mistake and you have to apologize to your wife. You have to lay it down and say, I screwed up again. I did it again. I know. I'm, so, I'm sorry. And you lay that in front of them. You take the garbage out, you load the dishwasher, you whatever. I can give you a million different illustrations, you know them. But the point is that mindset of, I want to be continually sacrificially serving and loving you. Now you're getting, now you're getting to this level of commitment that blows the mind of some. And so, yeah, it's one thing if I say, are you ready to die for Jesus today? Gunman comes in here. Well, bad illustration, because we'll take care of that. But if, if there was something that took place, if there was something that took place where you had to lay your life down, you had to lay your life down for Christ, you say, yes, I want to lay my life down for Jesus Christ right now. What about 40 years of irritating difficulties, where your pride is hit, nobody watches, nobody gives you any accolades for your obedience to him. If anything, sometimes you get kicked hard from the world for your obedience to him. You're mocked, you're made fun of, you're put down, and daily God takes a little bit more of you. That's a different discussion altogether. And that's the challenge. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in light of all this glorious truth, based on the foundation of God's mercy, lay your life down. Once and for all, but also daily, continually, until he calls you home. All the time, mindful, ready. I want 
to be pleasing to him. I want my life to count for Jesus. And this is an interesting word that he says here. He says, which is your spiritual worship? There's all kinds of words. The word spiritual in this text is a very, it's a very tricky one because uh, it's hard to get your hands around it because you'll see it translated a few different things. You'll see, this is your reasonable worship. This is your spiritual worship. This is your logical worship. This is your rational worship. And it's hard to get your hands around it because what he's saying is, this is the fitting way in which you should worship God. But it's deeper than that because it's, it's not just the, the way you do it with just your body or it's not just a mental ascent, but he's saying you are fully in, you're totally committed. This is the most fitting way for you to fully give yourself in response to this truth. And so that's the interesting part is when a preacher preaches or we hear it in a song or we hear somebody say it and we say, Lay your life down before Christ. You go, wow, that's strong preaching or that's strong call from the Lord Jesus. This passage says, no, it's reasonable. It's rational. This is the right fitting response to the truth is that you are a living sacrifice. You don't live for yourself. I live for Jesus. Now, the cool part, you guys, is that he tells us what he calls us to, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, do this. Now he's going to show us how to do it. I love when people do that. It's so tricky when somebody calls you to something, but they just leave you there. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, calls us to something and then says this in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, J.B. Phillips' translation says, do not be squeezed into the world's mold. Don't be squeezed into what the world tells you you should be. Don't be be formed out of the mold that the world has designed. I want you to look like this. This is what you look like. You are part of this world. Shape up. Rejoice in what the world rejoices in. Go against what the world goes against in. Find your comfort in what the world finds its comfort in. Be squeezed into the mold of the world. This is the opposite of sacrificial living for Jesus Christ. This conformity to the world, and this is what's interesting about conformity, is that, and I remember, it it was an old TV show with a guy named Archie Bunker, and he one time said, all the nonconformists dress alike. And what he was getting at in that statement was that this concept of we conform to other people all the time. That's what the world wants. The world's not concerned, beloved, about the internal motivation of what's inside of you. Rather, they want you to conform. Play the part, look the way, talk the talk, do all the right thing that the world wants to shape you, conform you into their mold. Conformity to the world is not easy to pin down necessarily. You look the part. You go with the doings of evil man and in disobedience to Jesus. You follow the patterns set by the lost, sinful, natural man. Man's continued natural living. This is the world's call on your life is to conform. And, and in different parts of the world right now, to the Christian, it is conform or and there's lots of different fill-in-the-blank fill there. In some parts of the world, conform or die. 
Other parts of the world conform or don't get a raise in pay. Conform or don't get that promotion. Conform or, or you're going to be absolutely ostracized by all the people around you. Conform or you're not in the club. Conform or you're going to be bickered at by a lot of people. Conform. Just do it. It's so much easier, beloved, if you just conform to the world. Just look like the world. Talk the way the world talks. Make yourself fit in. Now, this is what's so funny is that we talk about peer pressure. Usually, we all think about kids, right? No. No. Peer pressure is just completely cross-cultural. Peer pressure is cross-ages. If you're 50 and you're around a pile of people, guys who hunt, and they're all standing around a burn barrel telling their hunting stories, and you've never hunted in your life, you're going to feel a little bit left out. It's just the way it works. We see it in school all the time, but this is the way it is in all the world where you kind of get left out and you, I just want to fit in. You ever say that as a kid or hear a kid say that? Adults don't say it because we don't want to be embarrassed, but we all have that, I just want to fit in. And the world says, well, if you want to fit in, just conform to what we've designed. Here's what we've designed. Look this way, play the part, and you're in. But nothing's taking place inside the person. And so what does he put against this? He says, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by, from the inside out by the renewal of your actions. By the renewal of your job. By the renewal of fill in the blank. You go, that's not in my Bible. No, it's not in mine either, by the renewal of your mind, the very core of who you are, your thinking. God has designed it so that the way he's going to change a people is by renewing their mind. The mind renewal. So you think things you never thought. You love things you never loved. You despise things you once loved. And from the inside out, God is transforming you. This begins with regeneration. This begins with God coming and doing the miracle of the new birth. But after the new birth, he continues to renew you. And so you're not conforming to this world. You're being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Changed from the inside. And then listen to what happens as you're transformed from the inside out. It says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, maybe you've had somebody ask you this, and maybe you've asked somebody this. What is the will of God for my life? This passage, I think it's interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us what house to buy, who to marry, uh, in, in the sense of the exact person, tells us the qualities of who to marry. We're told some things about how financially we should be responsible. There's some of these tenants, but never exactly what to do. And so when we ask the will of God, typically we're saying, do I marry this person or that person? God's word doesn't necessarily go there per se. What God's word does is God's word says, if you, the more you study the scripture, the more you are in contact with the Lord in prayer, the more you're being transformed from the inside out, the more you recognize the will of God for your life. The revealed will of God 
for your life from the Scripture. If there was ever a word needed for the Church of Jesus Christ in 2021, if there was ever a word that we had to get clear, it is this word, discernment. Discernment. Some of the most undiscerning people right now are believers. And when people ask the question, they say, how do you know that they're, they're undiscerning? I would just say, turn on your Christian TV, Christian TV, and see what the majority, what a good portion of Christians are drinking in in, our, in this new year. Beloved, we need discernment so badly to discern what is God's will. So when somebody comes up to you with a question or a remark or something of that nature, you have this beautiful filtration system that that runs through and you know exactly that's not the will of God. Or you know exactly that is the will of God. That's clear in Scripture. The weight of Scripture supports that fully. So we progressively get better and better at recognizing what's clearly the will of God as our minds are continually being renewed. Christian discernment is something that we mature with over time by testing and proving. This happens through the life of a believer. The more we are drinking deep the truth of God's word, the greater we become of proving, testing. That's why it says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let me, let me kind of land the plane on this. I appeal to you, brothers, that you would lay your lives down as a living sacrifice before God, afresh. Not in your own strength, not in your own power, but on the basis of the mercy of God to plead with him. God, by your mercy, please let me give more of you. This year, in 2021, more Dan Mason is given to God than ever before. And whatever's in his way, by his grace, he would enable me to remove. Whatever's competing with God would be removed. I challenge you to go after him with greater zeal this year than you ever have in your Christian life. To pursue him with a passion that is not your own, but is spirit-given, that you may know him. And let me remind you, beloved, of the means of grace. God did not leave you empty-handed to know him. The reading of the word, the studying of the word, the memorizing of the word, the meditating on the word, avail yourself to quality Bible teaching, the fellowship of the saints, discipling a new believer and being discipled by an old believer, pursue the lost with the gospel and evangelism, and cultivate intimacy with God in private prayer. These are the means of grace. We may know them and we may have familiarity, but nothing's changed as far as how you pursue the knowledge of God, how you pursue God. These are the means of grace he's put in your hands and said, master these tools and come after me. So give yourself over daily in the pursuit of true knowledge of the king. And I will remind you of John 17, 3, where the Lord says, this is eternal life that you know 
Eternal life is not that you live forever. Eternal life is that you know God. I appeal to you guys. Draw a line in the sand, just a fresh line in the sand in your life, and ask the Lord, is there anything that has your place right now? Anything that I know for a fact is competing with you. And die to it. Father, I, I petition you, especially, Lord, because I have appealed